Hello, and welcome back to Archimedes, the evidence-based podcast from the Archives of Diseases of Childhood. We've had a little pause to breathe, to understand what the world contains, and to think again about the process of evidence-based child health. Now, it might be that in the little months that we've been off, you've forgotten, and so a brief refresher. The idea is that all around us are clinical questions that can best be answered by bringing together the highest quality available research evidence, combining that with our own clinical expertise and understanding, and then adding in the patient perspective and their particularities of their individual situation. And it's only when you bring all of these things together that you really get evidence-based action. What we do in Archimedes is take a case example, something that's based on reality that has triggered the authors to go away and search for the best available evidence. They bring this back and through adding in their clinical expertise and their appraisal of the stuff in front of them, they they get us to that point where what we've got in front of us now is a conclusion based upon that individual patient and the evidence that exists. We also delight you, I'm sure, with a small bit about the process of critical appraisal or evidence-based medicine or putting it into action. And this month is no different. Delight will follow after this short sting. Now, the classic formulation of that clinical question that's all around us asks for a PICO. That is, patient, intervention, comparison and outcome. Clearly, that's based in therapeutics, but it can be modified when asking questions of prognosis to query the risk factor of interest with a capital I, and in diagnostics, the innovative test, just to keep the acronym unsullied. Thinking like this lets us focus really clearly on the clinical question which is best placed to help our patients, but it does forget a crucial element in medicine. Time. Time for the outcome that we're looking at to occur. Is it in the years to come or within the chemotherapy cycle that we're dealing with? Time between the prognostic factor being elucidated and the end of the illness. Time or or duration of the treatment ongoing or the treatment acutely added time since the diagnosis was made or time since the initial treatments were being given. Each element of time might, for some questions, be a vital difference between the answers we found and vitally important in getting an answer that we can use. As such, it could be a key part of explaining any differences between studies, that's heterogeneity. It's certainly part of what we should be considering when we are assessing the studies and assessing if they are reporting things that are close enough to apply to our patient group. So, when we start with our question formulation, in the same way that we encourage everyone to express the description of the sometimes obvious comparator, we should also be thinking about time too. Now, after we've taken that short time off you, we'll head on to the meat of the episode. And this is the clinical question. 
The question is, what is the optimal antibiotic therapy for the treatment of non-tuberculous mycobacterial lymphadenitis in children? And many of you I know will have woken up this morning, seen the podcast drop in your feed and be so grateful that this that was keeping you up the night before was finally there to be answered. The authors of this come from the Immunology and Infectious Diseases Group at Sydney Children's Hospital over in Australia, and it's Tran Nyan, Ben Murray and Phoebe Williams that have put all this together. Their idealised case is a two-year-old boy presenting with an eight-week history of enlarged right-sided cervical nodes, otherwise well, afebrile, and this got biopsied. Obviously, with my background in paediatric oncology, I'm thinking, hmm, hmm, are we really going to get a malignant diagnosis with this? But that biopsy revealed Mycobacterium avian complex, MAC. And whilst there was a thought that complete excision was the right thing to do, it was really not suitable for that and assessed by an experienced local surgical team. Now, the lymphadenopathy remained for several weeks after that curatage, and it might be that they often drop down, but, but it's carrying on. And so the team think, what antibiotics might have a role in treating this infection? And within that, which ones, what dose, and what duration of therapy? And so they came up with a PICO question in a child with non-tuberculous mycobacterium lymphadenipus, so that's the patient and problem group, in whom surgery is considered inappropriate, which antibiotics, and that's your sort of your patient and comparison, are the most effective, tolerable and safe. That's your outcome part. Two authors went away and they did a search on Cochrane Library, PubMed and Embase to cover a range of things from 1974 into the early 2022s and included everything that they could around children and all of the papers, including the ones that seemed primarily on title to be surgical and wait and see about the treatment of non-tuberculous mycobacteria. 299 papers were independently screened for this and eight, only eight, met the inclusion criteria. Now, they did exclude if they weren't available in English or when examined in detail. There wasn't actually enough information about those elements of choice, duration and dosage of antimacterial treatment. Of these studies, they include randomised controlled trials of 100 patients comparing clarithromycin and rifambutin to straight-up surgical excision in the group that could do that. There are others that randomise between antibiotics and just waiting and seeing, and others that look across different patterns of what happened when we did things and weren't randomised were more cohort studies often collected retrospectively and ranging in size from seven or eight children all the way up to 117. Putting all of this stuff together shows that there is a great deal of mixture there. The largest RCT used antibiotic therapy of clarithromycin of 15 mg per kilo per day and rifambutin of 5 mg per kilo per day. And that went on for about six months. Smaller ones used three months Others use different antibiotic choices. When they sort of try and synthesise this information together, 
it's clear that most people are choosing a two-drug regime of a macrolide plus an antimycobacterial agent. So the macrolide is frequently clarithromycin because it's good in vitro against these mycobacterium avium complex MACs and then adding in something else, often beginning with an R, rifampicin, rifambutin or ethambutol, which should have an R really, even if we use it silently. And these are the things that have been used in the studies that are there. Using that macrolide, the clarithromycin, or maybe azithromycin, on its own does prove a risk of developing resistance in those MAC bacteria. Pulling all of that together, they came up with three very sensible clinical bottom lines. They state that it is sometimes difficult to treat. The randomised evidence does suggest that surgical excision is a better thing to do. And if there's a little bit left, then observing and seeing if anything is going to happen, then, then that might be a reasonable thing to do. But if that isn't occurring, then antibiotics look like they add some benefit. And whilst there are a variety of regimes, it would be sensible to combine a macrolide, clarithromycin being the choice, with rifampicin or rifambutol. The doses and durations are inconsistent, but look up what looks most sensible on your local formulary or protocol. And most studies treat for three to six months with an idea that you might want to treat for three months. And if everything has gone and gone quickly, then maybe stop there. And if things are a little bit trickier, then to carry on through to six months. This would be a good discussion to have with your infectious diseases experts and the family involved. So, it is wonderful to be back. Please do send us your Archimedeses. Not every Archimedes that gets submitted will make its way through all the way to the paper and the podcast, but we do try and run a supportive editorial service where we help you develop your paper to make it into the best thing that it can be before final decision before the editorial board. Of course, you should be subscribing to the ADC podcast and downloading not just this one, but all of the other exciting things that we share so that your education can be almost brain free as it flows through your headphones or into your car. We would love feedback on what we do. Do get in touch via the social medias or the emails or even the post, which is something that still occasionally occurs. We look forward to speaking to you next month and hope you have a lovely time.